York and Chapel presents Brands That Matter, the weekly podcast that explores companies whose products, policies, or practices make the world a better place. Now here's your host, John Merrick. Joining us this week on Brands That Matter is writer and executive coach John Michael DeMarco. John's newest novel, The Book Club Widowers, is currently available on Amazon. John, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, John. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you bet. Hey, John, you know, really interested in your career and your path as a writer. And nobody just wakes up one day and says, I want to be a writer, and then suddenly they are. Obviously, there's a journey through that. And I was hoping you you could share that journey with us and tell us how did you get interested in it? What did you do to really hone those skills that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, thanks, John. So I've been a writer most of my life. And writing has really been a golden thread uh, since I was probably 10 or 11. And I actually have to to give credit to the to the great, now late Stan Lee, because I was on a trip with my parents, I think, at age 10 or 11, and um, just came across an issue of The Incredible Hulk, and I was hooked. And from reading comics at an early age, that just got me into starting to create my own stories. And before I knew, by the time I was 12 or 13, I was... I was uh, writing short little um, air quote books and a practically toy typewriter and then graduated to a, uh, to a real typewriter and the books kept getting longer. And uh, by the time I was in my late teens, I was writing uh, song lyrics as well as screenplays. Um, and in the last 10 years or so, uh, I've come back to writing prose again, uh, longer works of fiction and nonfiction. Um, but throughout my life and career, you know, whether it's been through just some of this per- personal prose or through my work as a journalist in my 20s or the freelancing I've been doing for the last 25 years, writing has always been this key golden thread, this, this key part of who I am. And I'm grateful for that. John, I love that you cited Stan Lee. And I think few people realize the depth of those characters he created and how much influence he must have had on, on folks like you. I know, you know, as a kid... That was sort of that, th- those were some of the first stories where I said, oh, there, there's a life behind these characters that you would not normally see in content that was geared towards kids. And I think that that's his legacy is building these characters that, you know, to me, it's not, it's not the Spider-Man 9 that's going to, you know, that'll come out, no doubt, at some point. It's the, the, it's the story behind these characters and the life that he, he gave them. Really impressive stuff, and I can see how that could have, could have influenced anybody. Yeah, that was my first dive into the School of Character Development. And it just uh, taught me some things about life and the world and human nature that I probably wasn't picking up in school at the time or even at home. Yes, Hey, so so your novel, the book club widowers, w- w- what a what a sensational book! Can you describe some of that for our listeners? Yes. So, what if three wives and moms who enjoy reading literature and sipping wine together, as a, as a lot of women in book clubs do, what if they decided to go on a girls' trip? Right, which again, um, groups of close friends, especially female friends, tend to do a lot of. And what if they didn't come back? How would the husbands cope? How would the children cope? How would life go on in this new sort of normal? Especially if 
what happened to these women was left open-ended, was just shrouded with ambiguity. How would the, the dads and the husbands go forward trying to help their children cope, trying to help them with daily life, right? Going to the dentist, birthdays, bar mitzvahs, uh, holidays, homework, while at the same time trying to help their kids. These dads, you know, they're imperfect, flawed men. They still have their own issues to deal with. They're still trying to grow. They still have their own ambitions. But everything is in this sort of holding pattern, and yet life still continues. Um, that idea just hit me one day years ago, and I was intrigued by it, began to explore it. And also thought it would be cool if, what if in some way, a couple of the key themes from the books that the women were reading before they vanished, if those key themes managed to percolate throughout the story as well and tie into just larger themes around dealing with disappointment and ambiguity and the challenge of staying married and having a healthy marriage and the challenge of raising kids. So all these things sort of came together into what I think is this very suspenseful, very page-turning uh, literary mystery or, or, or thriller. Um, and, you know, I'm excited that um, got just under 40 really positive reviews on Amazon and excited for more people to discover the book and uh, love having the opportunity to talk about it here. Well, that's great. And, and it, I, I found the depth of characters really fascinating. I, I just think it's a sensational book. And, and originally, my original comments would have been, wow, what an amazing book to just lose yourself for a summer. But when I think of the, this book, it's just applicable to anybody who wants to pick it up and read. Um, just very, very well done. And I, I know, you know, I've talked to so many writers before, and they all have a process. And it's never, there never seems to be any commonality in the process. So I'm really, I'm always interested to tell us, like, when you sit down to write, how does it go? Do you have it, uh, is, is the story something that you wake up with, you spring up out of bed with an aha moment and then just go? Or is it a process of outlining? Tell us more about that. Sure. The, for the books that I've actually finished, <laughs> there's a lot of unfinished um, <laughs> projects that sort of litter the, the landscape of my writing life, uh, both decades ago and in recent years. But for the ones that I've completed, I've found that the idea always just fell into my head, the story hook, you know, the, the, the what if this happened and this happened kind of thing. And that the, the novels I haven't finished or really made a lot of progress on were ones where I was trying to force an idea to happen. And so once I have that clear hook, then it's a matter of beginning to put some skin and meat on the bones of, of that idea. And for me, that typically comes in starting to uh, identify and flesh out a few characters, very minimal at first, and then a rough outline and I find that it works best when I don't spend a lot of time overthinking the outline or when I, when I don't spend a ton of time doing research. Some time on the outline, a little bit of time on the research. But within the first month or so, if I begin the writing process, the book is more likely to get some quick momentum. And my, when I'm in the, in the process of writing a first draft, I aim to write somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 words per morning early morning, 
not only don't stop and go back and edit until that first draft is finished, right? Some 80,000, 100,000 words later. And then there's a very long process of rewriting, redrafted, fine tuning, at some point getting input and feedback. So that's the process that has, has generally worked for me. So when you when you develop these characters, will you do a treatment just on the character before you insert them into the story? I'll do a brief bio on them. Hmm. Right? Uh, who are they? What's their profession? What's their age? Where do they grow up? What are their family dynamics? Do they have a spouse and if they have other children? Um, what are their strengths and flaws? And what are they hoping to achieve? And most importantly, right? what will growth in this character look like? So applying those kinds of questions to each character, uh, doing some of that in advance is really helpful because then when you're in the flow of writing, you've already met the characters in a sense. Now, you're still discovering them along the way, but at least you've had a brief introduction. You've had the first 30, 45 minutes on the airplane flight with them. And you can go deeper now as you write. Well, you mentioned you've got you've got books that are are not done that are out there. So these... Well, these gifts to the world you're withholding, what happens there? Like, what's, <laughs> <laughs> what stops you from finishing them? So generous of you. <laughs> well, here's the good news. Some of those characters and a few, of the, and few, and a few pieces of those ideas have made their way to things I actually have completed. So nothing ever goes to waste. And I save all of these ideas. And believe me, it's not like there's hundreds of them. But in my... My uh, vast arsenal of electronic files, I, I still have all those ideas, and I occasionally look at them. And the Book Club Widowers, I did not start writing that until more than a year after I first had the idea. And so that tells me that um, you, you never know when you come back to something and, okay, now it's the right time. Right? The critical mass of ideas, for, for whatever reason, I'm ready to... Uh, write this book now. And so that could happen at any time. The, the important thing is to realize that every idea that you that you have that's halfway decent, every character, that you you, know, you, store those, you store them away or you plant them like seeds in a garden. And some are going to harvest and some will, will just sort of remain in the soil for who knows how long. That's interesting. You know, songwriters tell me something similar too where you know, they're they're like, well, I, I I've written hundreds of songs. You've only heard the 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 twelve I've determined you ought to hear, but but often <laughs> often what'll happen is some of those songs that that don't get released or ever heard. There's a nugget in there, um, a guitar solo or uh, a brass line or even a a, a a lyrical line from a different song that finds its way into a, another piece somewhere. It could be two months or twenty years later. Um, so that that started its life somewhere else. So I, I can see exactly how that would apply to your work as well. Definitely. Hey, John, you, you, you I want to talk about your life as an executive coach because it, it's it really seems to be a life of service that and it's intriguing to me. Um, I, I need, how did you get started in that field? That, that, what really started? What interests you to get going as an executive coach? Funny, I didn't even know the job or the field existed when I was younger, when I was in college. Um, I, didn't, I didn't start coming across people who actually did this work until I was in my early 30s. And I think that, for me, the coaching profession was a very um, 
natural outcome of some of the things I did earlier in my career in that, you know, again, kind of building on being a writer, um, you could say I've always been intrigued around the power of words to transform people, to elicit new ways of thinking, uh, clarity, to help people to uh, become more self-aware, stretch themselves, take more chances, go after their dreams. And so when I was a journalist in my 20s, the power of words was, that was my first professional effort to try to bring that power to my work. And then I felt led to go to a theological seminary for graduate degree, a graduate degree, and became a United Methodist pastor and did that for a few years. And that was the opportunity to not just be a writer now, but to be a speaker and a teacher. And then uh, transitioned from seminary back into the corporate world as a financial advisor with Morgan Stanley. And that was another opportunity to through building strong relationships to, uh, to use words and influence and, and presence to help people to get more clarity and make some plans about their financial future. And what I was discovering around that time when I was working with Morgan Stanley was, first of all, I did not want to stay in the field of financial management forever. That wasn't really my fit. But what happened during that time was I learned a whole heck of a lot about how to market myself. And I started running into these executive coaches and lab coaches and human resource professionals. Everything sort of came together. I'm like, okay, the kind of work that I want to do as far as my full-time gig above and beyond my writing is I want to help equip uh, leaders, entrepreneurs, um, anybody who's hungry to grow. I want to equip those individuals. And the more I learned about coaching, the more it felt like a fit for me. And thankfully, a healthcare organization in Florida gave me a shot uh, to join their HR team as an organizational development professional and just began to do a ton of coaching then with um, executives and leaders and managers and started to add credentials and certifications and courses to the mix. And uh, you know, across the last 15 or so years now, have been able to get a graduate uh, certification in executive and professional coaching, um, have achieved the uh, PCC professional certified coach status with the International Coach Federation, which is the largest, co- the largest coach accreditation body in the world, and just racked up just um, you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not more than a thousand hours uh, coaching different professionals. John, what's the process and, uh, of getting of getting certified, and and how long would that take somebody to do? So there are, depending on the accreditation body, you would need to find out what their guidelines are. There's always some kind of a training um, framework you have to go through. It's some kind of a um, list of courses or, or, or program. And once you complete that training, which can take anywhere from a year to two years for most of these most of these certification bodies, you're then required to um, knock out a certain number of minimal hours, let's say 500 hours or so of, of coaching people. Um, and then there's usually some kind of a certification exam you have to take. So it's not quite as long as medical school or law school or things like that, but there are some and key uh, milestones you have to hit in terms of training, uh, experience, and certification examination in order to open the door to uh, being able to hang out your shingle as a, 
as a full-time executive coach. Got it. So, you know, as an, as an executive coach, how are some of the ways that, that you and your fellow executive coaches can help guide careers? Like, can you give us an example of, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's something that's, you know, happened last week that you could share with us where you've helped somebody through some issues or maybe brought them to another level. I had a leader who was, who was a senior manager capacity. And this individual was, was dealing with a lot of stress on the job and it was, was holding this person back from really being able to focus on uh, these one or two key things he needed to excel in just a little more in order to get to that director level. And so we had several months of focus coaching around him and this person increasing their self-awareness around, around what triggers their stress and me providing them with some different mindfulness practices, some different ways of becoming more aware of stress triggers and then responding in a different kind of way, like to be able to have a more skillful response to uh, during stressful interactions or during the time when this person was away from work but not able to get away inside their head. And as they practice some of these mindfulness uh, techniques, they're able more and more to be less stressed and to, to be more creative and, and more innovative. And as a result, they were able to take those steps. And about two months ago, this individual received that promotion to director. And so that's a recent success story of uh, an approach I took in terms of coaching someone. Now, the, you know, it really depends on the individual's goal. Right? Everyone's going to have their own goal, and, and the client really drives the agenda as far as the goal they want to work on. Well, it's got to be incredibly satisfying for you to see somebody go to, go to the next level in their career. What's, you know, for, for young executives, what skill do you find most of today's young execs seem to overlook that could get them pointed in the right direction? Emotional intelligence is a big one. That includes the capacity for, for self-awareness, for having empathy for others, for being an active listener. Emotional intelligence, the degree to which someone has a strength in that, has a direct correlation to the quality of their relationships and their influence with others. So that's a big one. Strategic thinking is also uh, huge for younger professionals. Because when you're early in your career, you're very much in a tactical mode. You're often an individual contributor. You're getting things done. You become very successful in whatever your, your particular skill set happens to be. But it's important to begin to look at the larger picture of the business of the industry in terms of the different functions, in terms of the, the kind of customer growth you're trying to have, and, and certainly in terms of talent development, you know, being able to begin to develop um, your peers, and then as you become a manager, the people who report to you. So that combination of emotional intelligence and strategy, if the young, if the young professional can develop those early, um, they can really accelerate their career growth. And a, and a coach can play a key part in that as far as someone who can be solely dedicated to helping them grow in that regard. That, that neutral third party who isn't their direct manager, isn't even their mentor, but is that thought partner that comes alongside them and helps them become more aware and take some very concrete steps towards certain outcomes. Boy, you're so right. That, that emotional intelligence factor can take somebody so far, and it is so often overlooked. But, John, what about young, aspiring writers? What advice would you have for them? 
most important thing first is to keep writing. <laughs> Ideally, to write every day because that helps you to continue to develop and flex your writing muscles. And that is also a, um, a great way to, to not get into this perception of writer's block, like I have nothing to write about. That really is a, is a construct that, that writers make up. It's a way of psyching yourself out. If you're writing every day, and that could be anything. That could be writing in a journal or writing a blog, writing out ideas, writing fortune cookies. <laughs> Whatever it is, continue to cultivate your craft. And I have found that the more I write, the more effective I am as a writer, and the more ideas spring forth, and the more, um, more excited and motivated I feel. And so that's a key thing. Um, and just as well as writing every day to, to not become obsessed with what other people are doing or the kind of success that other writers are having or, or the great idea that they had, right? Uh, to be open to your own story hooks and ideas and realize that you as a writer have something unique to say and that you deserve to take the opportunity to say it. Well, you heard it here, folks. Fortune cookies is the key to becoming a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> great summary, John. <laughs> uh, uh, John, this has been great. So where, where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your work? So, the, so one, um, you know, probably the key place to, to go first is my, is my website, and that is simply johnmichaeldemarco.com. Um, there you will see my three books with brief summaries and, and links to uh, purchase or download. And you'll also see a brief bio about me as a writer and as a coach. And then you'll also see there are links to my various social media accounts, of which I, I got several. Oh, that's great. And we'll also put a link in the show notes to your site and your social media channels. John Michael DeMarco's latest novel, The Book Club Widowers, is available now on Amazon. So go check that out. John, thanks for joining us today. Join us next week for another episode of Brands That Matter. And please, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about York and Chapel, visit yorkandchapel.com.